Good morning. If you would turn with me to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. This morning we're going to look at verses 8 through 13. That's Romans 15, 8 through 13. The Word of God tells us, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, and him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning in awe, Father, as we read your word. That, Father, as Gentiles, probably most, if not all, in this room, Father, we would be considered Gentiles. And yet, your plan, even before the foundation of the earth, wasn't just to rescue your chosen people, the Jewish people, but that within your elect is also the Gentiles, that you would reach out to us, Father, that you would, your Son, dying upon a cross, that we might turn and, and trust in him. And Father, we too can be brought into your family. So Father, this morning, we, we sit and we stand in awe of a God who gives us what we don't deserve. For all who trust in you, Father, you give us beyond what we could ever imagine, what we could ever even comprehend to deserve. Father, you adopt us as your children. So, Father, this morning as we come to your word, let us not be discouraged. Let us not be in turmoil. But, Father, let us abound in help. Father, Today, we need you to draw us close. We need you to give us understanding. And Father, as we come to your word, I pray that you would draw hearts, that you would make us, conform us to the image of your Son, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let's, let's start this morning at Romans 15, 8. Uh, we, we have come... We've had an amazing journey through Romans, and we now find in the book of Romans that it's starting to come to a close. That the, 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 the meat of it, the, 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 
as we have at least said many, many, many weeks um, in the book of Romans, as we've devoured and feasted on the meat, and as we've come to understand that the, the central theme of the book of Romans is God's salvation and how we might partake in that salvation and its effect upon us. At this point in the book of Romans, it's almost like we've come to the, the end of the letter, and now, now we've, um, if you've ever, uh, for us older people, if we've, we used to write each other letters, and I hope you know people write letters still too, it's almost as if we've come to the, the P.S. in the letter. But oftentimes, the P.S. or the thing that's at the end um, is either a, a great reminder or something that, that adds to it or emphasizes the greatness of this letter that you've written or received. So this morning, that's where we find ourselves. Let's look at Romans 15, 8 once again. It says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Let's continue on to verse 9. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Right off the bat, in, in verses 8 and 9, we find this principle that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. And essentially what's, what that means is Christ became a servant to the Jewish people, those whom were God's chosen people in the Old Testament, and God specifically chose them that he would reveal his will to them, that they would have the, the words and the writings of the prophets, that they didn't walk in the blind, they didn't walk by their feelings, but that God revealed himself to them, um, specifically that they may come to know him. Not just that they would have the law, not just that they would... Um, that they would know how God expects us to behave, or even so, or even greater, to come to God's moral law, that we might know him and know um, his moral character. Um, but God gives us uh, this, his word, that we might come to know him in such a way that he would redeem us. Uh, if you remember the story of the woman at the well, um, Christ reminded her that, that the, the, the Jewish people were blessed in many ways, primarily because they worshipped in truth, they, or they had the ability to worship in truth. And now as we go through the Old Testament, we begin to understand that just as in uh, the assembled uh, body today, or the assembled church today, or, or the gathering together today, that there were those who were... Um, sitting among them, and then there were those who were of um, the remnant, those who truly knew God. There were those who had his word. There were those who kept the rules the best that they could. There were those who strived to, to um, make them puff themselves up and say, look how good I fulfill the law. And then there was the remnant of those who really knew God who were really redeemed. I don't believe that we could ever come to the Old Testament and look at the Israelites 
and, and make the claim that every single Jewish person was saved. I don't believe that that's a scriptural concept. But they were chosen in that they would have the word of God that they might come to know him. Um, understand the difference. We can read this every single day of our life. We can memorize every single word. We could go to every single church service. We could, we could expel or spend our lives in the service of others. But if we don't come to know God, we are not redeemed. We only have to be reminded of that concept in the book of James, that um, the demons believe in God and they tremble. The, the difference between the redeemed and the non-redeemed isn't so much a belief in God, but that God has changed them, that God has changed their hearts. And this morning, our life, our coming to Christ, is less to do with how well we keep the rules and more to do with how, how much do I desire him? How much will I draw near to him? How much, uh, how close can I get to him? So close that he would change my heart to desire him. And this morning, if that's you, if you desire him, you are blessed indeed, whether you're Jewish or Gentile. <clears throat> so we find that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. And it gives us three reasons, or three reasons, or um, three reasons why he did that. The first is to show God's truthfulness. That Christ came into the flesh and he dwelt among us that people might see the truthfulness of the Father. And it's reminded again in the second point, point to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. As we go through the Old Testament, we find many, many promises that were revealed to us through the prophets. In fact, before Christ came, um, thousands of years before, even, that there were hundreds of, of prophecies. There were hundreds of things about um, God's Son that, that they were to look for. And you and I, uh, we may think back just a very short time, a time when, when churches appeared differently, when churches um, had the windows open, not just in the spring and the fall and, and in the, the the continuation of last fall that we have this year, but it would have been all summer because they wouldn't have, have had air conditioning. They had big windows because they didn't have lights. And as we go through time and as time changes, there are those who would go to the Word of God and they would say, well, this is kind of an old person's book. And I believe that that happened to some of those Israelites, some of those Jewish people, they would say, as you have, I'm sure, have heard many, many times over, well, you know, my parents, when they were kids, they, people warned all the time that Jesus is going to return, and, and he hasn't yet. I can tell you this morning, he will return. But I believe we find ourselves in history, or at this point in history, um, as we come to the, the New Covenant or the New Testament, that same mentality of, among many people. Well, people, they, they might have said, well, people think, that, people have said the Messiah has, is going to come. They've said that 
my grandparents said that. He had, he's heaven came. And yet, at this point in history, when Christ comes to the earth, he confirms that when God makes a promise, he keeps the promise. And this morning, as we look to our future, as we uh, stand in the hope and, and the looking forward to when we, you and I are at the marriage supper of the Lamb, when we are with Christ and together, there are some who would say, well, people have said that a long time. And yet, you and I, at some point, will find ourselves um, in, in glory, being confirmed that what God promises, God keeps. And thirdly, and what I would like to look at a little more this morning, is Christ became a servant to the circumcised in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Look at Romans 15, 10 through 12 again. We, we have this concept or this idea that in the Old Testament, God was specifically um, concerned with the Israelites. And that's true. But God never forgot about the Gentiles. In fact, in the Old Testament, the Israelites were supposed to be God's evangelism force for the Gentiles. That's why we have the, what do you would call them, twin, twin pro quos. God says, if you do this, I will do that. If you don't eat pork, I will bless you with health. If you wash your hands before you eat, you will be healthy among the nations. And the nations looked at the Jewish people, and they were in awe because these people had health that nobody else in the world had. It was God's choice in how he evangelized. It was partially for the purpose of reaching out to the Gentiles. So we're reminded in, in Romans, um, we're, giving, we're given several passages from the Old Testament. Let's read 15, 10 through 12 again. These are, uh, understand that I've shared this in Sunday school, and probably many of you know this already, but when you see something indented in your Bible, it's typically because it's quoting from an Old Testament verse, and there's usually a little letter beside it, and you can go in all that small writing and find what verse it's talking about. But this morning, let's just read through these once again. It says, and again it is said, and remember this is the Old Testament, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. <clears throat> and again, praise the Lord, O you Gentiles, and let all the people extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to, the rule, to rule the Gentiles, and him will the Gentiles hope. We're told in the Old Testament that God was concerned with the Gentiles. It was always his plan that in the New Covenant that there would be a way made not just for the Jewish people, but also for the Gentiles. That all those who would turn from their sin, who would turn to Christ, to, who would turn to the, the work of Christ on the cross, that God would place your sin upon his Son, and 2,000 years ago, as he was on that cross, if, if this morning you have turned and put your trust in Jesus Christ, your sin was tagged into his account. And the punishment he received on the cross 
was on your behalf. And the wrath of his father being poured out upon him was a wrath that you rightly deserved. As Gentiles, if you are born again, we should be glorifying God. He is incredibly merciful to us. He is incredibly kind to us. One only has to go back to God's moral law and compare himself to it. To compare yourself to the Ten Commandments. To, to go to Commandment 9 that says, Thou shalt not lie. And, and to presume that I can stand before God as one who never told a lie would be comical to you all because you know that your heart is much like mine. If God kept a record as he does of every single lie that I've ever told, I would, I would cower as I went through my teenage years. But not just my teenage years, every year of my life, I would cower before a holy and perfect God who does not lie. And how about the Eighth Commandment, Thou shalt not steal. God doesn't so much care about the value of what I stole, but that I took what didn't belong to me. Or how about the one that everyone tends to think they've kept, thou shalt not murder, and go into scripture and see that if we hate our brother for any for if we hate our brother, God sees us as a murderer who has not hated someone. And yet all of these things, all of these sins, God keeps track of. And if God gave me what I deserve, and if God gave you what you deserve from your works, you would rightly be punished. And as the one who is right before God is perfectly rewarded, you will be perfectly punished. It is what we deserve. It's what I've earned for myself. It's what you have earned for yourself before a holy God. And yet God in his kindness sends forth his only son to take the wrath on your behalf. It is a kindness that we will never experience from any person here on earth. It's a kindness that we can't comprehend. It's a kindness that is missing. It, 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 my mind can't wrap around it. And the reason he does it is this point number three in this letter. It's in order that the Gentiles might glorify him for his mercy. That we might lift him high. That we might point go to the world and point to our Redeemer and our Savior who has been so kind to save us, who has been so kind to adopt us even into his family for all those who would trust in him. We only have to turn back a few pages to Romans 2.4 and understand why he has been so kind. It says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. When we understand what Christ has done for us, it should drive us to our knees. 
It should drive us to obedience. It should drive us to allegiance to the God who, who cares for me in a way that I can't even care for myself. Who provides a way of escape from the death that I deserve. How could we not serve him? How could we not love him? How could we not cast every worldly thing to the fire? As long as we can just be with our Savior. To just be the one with the one who has loved us to this extent. We get so confused with that word repentance. Because if we don't know Christ, repentance seems to be this. That I have to take everything I love and I have to do my best to, to get rid of it. And so, so that hopefully when I die, God will save me. That is not repentance. Repentance is, is the same. Jesus, or in, the, in the Gospels, we have the story of a man who discovered a treasure in a field. And this treasure was so amazing that he sold everything that he had just so that he could buy this field and have this treasure. That is an image of Christ. That if you come to know him, he is so amazing. He is so beautiful. He is so good. He is so kind and patient and so merciful. That repentance is, God, have my junk. It is nothing compared to you. It is not hard to turn, God, because you are so good. And this morning, I would plead with you. There is nothing in this world worth keeping between you and God. There is nothing compared to his glory. There is nothing you have. There is nothing you can do. There is nothing you can possess. There is not a person that you can be with. There is, there is nothing that compares to the glory of God. And if you will come to know him, repentance will not be a chore. It will be a glory. It will be, God, I get, I get the cash in this junk for you, for your forgiveness. How could you not? How could you hold on another day to what this world has to offer? May today be the day of salvation. If you don't know Christ, if you aren't sold out to him, I can tell you the word it was what a blessing our brother shared this morning, Psalm 118. It says, Blessed, truly happy is the one who searches after God with his whole heart. I've said this so many times in the last few weeks. There's something within us that we always are wanting, whatever it is that will make us happy. And yet this world deceives us and it tries to get us to go down all these paths and if I, if I only have this new, the newest fishing pole or, or if I could only hit the golf ball better than somebody else, God, then I'll truly be happy. And God puts it in plain words. You will not. You will not. The one who is truly happy is the one who seeks after God with his whole heart. He finds a treasure that nothing else can compare to. Look in Romans 
Continue on, Romans 15, 13. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. If you find Christ, if you know him, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is going to make you abound in hope. And abound is, is just a, an older word that, that just means you're overflowing. You're full of hope. You're, you're just, you're, you're, you're abounding in hope. And this morning, the question then is, where is your hope? Is it in Christ? Is it in the one true sovereign God who has every detail of your life under control? Is it that God who, who when we, we look at every other being, including the devil, is like a hand on a lid that he can flick at any time he wants? Is that your king? Is that your father? Are you adopted into his family? Is your hope in him? These last, this last week has been very, has been an examination of our hearts. What is our hope in? Is our hope in a president? Is our hope in politics? If it is, you're probably not abounding in hope today. There's probably a deep way of your heart. Today, we, we shouldn't be surprised at what's happening in our world. In fact, uh, several months ago, at the beginning of the year, we began to experience a pandemic in our land. And through the Old Testament, we're, we're told and reminded that God allows pandemics to bring his people to repentance. Yet in America, we didn't see an outpouring of repentance in the church. Seemingly, it was yet another reason why we don't need to gather together. We fear above more than we fear God. If his church will not repent, what do we expect? Where do we expect God to take us? God will do whatever it takes to draw his church close. In America, we have been very busy about all kinds of things. Rarely busy about seeking the God of Scripture. We, we have somehow thought that the gospel or, or, or Christianity boiled down to taking a pill once or twice and then living our lives as, as we lived them before. But this morning, understand, understand me clearly. If Christ is not all to you, do you guys hear? If Christ is not all to you, he is nothing. He's not a savior. He's not a savior of those who think that he's a monopoly, get out of jail free card. 
if Christ hasn't transformed your heart, if you don't desire him more than just Sunday morning, more than just here or there, if, if you're not in his word, if you're not seeking after him, it's very strong evidence that he has not done a work in your heart. That doesn't mean that you're perfect about it. It doesn't mean that you're, you're, that's all you do in life. But in America, we're, good, we're, we're very good at many things. Seeking God typically isn't one of those. When things come up in our lives, we can miss work for a lot of things. Typically, a church event isn't one of those things. Where is your hope? The Bible word hope. See, when we come to this, the Bible word hope, for those of you, for, for, for all who know Christ, hope is more than just hoping the fish are biting this weekend. Right? I spent a lot of weekends saying, I hope the fish are biting Saturday. But that word hope isn't the word hope that's used here. If you are in Christ, that word hope, essentially we, we find 2 Corinthians 5, 7, a demonstration of it. That word hope, um, or that verse says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. If my hope is in Christ, if I hope for um, the future, if I hope to be with him at, at the, the marriage supper of the Lamb, if I hope to be in heaven one day, if I'm in Christ, it's as if it's already happened. It is completely sure if I'm in Christ. If my hope is in a God who is sovereign, who controls every detail of the universe, I have nothing to fear. When things don't look good out there, I have nothing to fear. Kind of like I probably, I'm sure I've said, and many of you young people said in, in preschool, my daddy's bigger than your daddy. What's there to worry about? Amen? As we go forward, the question of whether we're going to be happy or sad or fearful, the question has nothing to do with an election. It has to do with where is my hope? Do I really know Christ? We're a long way from Nero. The early church didn't fret over who was the emperor, who was the king. Nero was crazier than we'll hopefully ever meet. Herod was a crazier guy than you and I will, I hope, ever meet. The church wasn't shaken about it. Normally the church is strengthened. And this morning that is, that's my hope. That we begin to see the value in Christ like never before. That we begin to seek him like never before. Because as times get worse, it's a blessing to us. 
It shows us how futile our stuff is. It shows us how futile our activities are. It shows us how futile everything apart from Christ is. Amen? Amen. This morning, I would encourage you, I would command you. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. If you don't know Christ, the Bible says to repent, to turn from the direction you're going, to turn to Christ, and to put your trust in him. The Bible says if you do that in no way, will he cast you out? See, the confusion, in conclusion, the confusion is this, and and the disciples actually had the same confusion. Because they thought if, if they just associate with Christ, if they travel with him, if they, if they camp out with him, if they spend all kinds of time with him and, and do these things, then, then that's, that's really the end of it. But if you remember um, when they came to Christ about the, the, a couple of tragedies that happened, uh, specifically the, the ruler was mixing the blood of the martyrs with, with, with just bad things, Christ reminded the disciples. He's telling the disciples, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. He's telling that to his disciples. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. It's more than about facts. Now, the Bible says faith comes by hearing, and so we should be in the Word of God, diligently in the Word of God, reading the Word of God to our children. If you want children who serve Christ and faith comes by hearing, you must take every opportunity to share the Word of God with your children. But this morning, I'd like you to look into yourself. Have you repented? Is Christ all? Is that demonstrated by your schedule? Is that demonstrated by your pocketbook? Is that demonstrated by the things that you do? Is it demonstrated by the priority of Christ in your life? See, I have this conversation with my kids all the time. There's a difference in what you say and what you do. The reason you behave the way you do, the reason that you sometimes leave chores undone, is because your priority is something different than that. It doesn't matter if you say that it's your priority. If your life demonstrates something different, it is not. This morning, coming back to message. Let me remind you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. The third reason was in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. This morning, that mercy still pours out upon you. And if you look into your life, if you examine your schedule and your priorities, and they don't line up, the solution, it's, it's okay that you feel bad about it, but the solution isn't to stay there. That God is full of mercy. That this morning, if you would turn to him and say, God, I have so messed up, but 
But God, today, put me on the right path. Let me make you be the one whom I serve. Let me, again, say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Seek after him today. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning primarily overjoyed. That today, as, as everyone in here who takes another breath, it demonstrates, Father, that your patience isn't over. That you're not through with us. Father, as you give us the gift of another breath, let us use that breath in repentance towards you. Father, let us as family seek you with our whole hearts. Father, whatever your plan is for the times to come, whether it be times of hardship, Father, Let us set our eyes upon you. Let us look upon you with joy, Father. Let us rest in the hope that one day you are going to return. That could be today. Christ could return today, this very hour. But if it's not for another hundred thousand years, it's not for another millennia. Our hope is still in you, Father. Our hope is still in Christ. Father, each of us in this room are going to meet you within, within the next hundred years. All the the glimmer, shiny things of this world aren't going to matter remotely on that day. Others make our priorities correct today. Change our